Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good to see everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard, and I hope your Memorial Day weekend is going well. Um, do you want to remember those who've given their lives um, for our country and... Uh, my dad, uh, where's his, I think we've got a picture here. He's my favorite vet. I've got a lot of favorite vets. But my dad, there he is, 92 years old on his brand new riding lawnmower. He is uh, extremely excited about conquering uh, his yard. Uh, but uh, we just want to remember, take a moment to remember those who have given their lives. And uh, Father, we do thank you that we live in a country free. Uh, we thank you for the sacrifice that has been made for us. And... Uh, we pray you be with the families and with those who are missing their family members today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever received a, a letter from someone just out of the blue and it changed your whole day? So you don't know which way I'm going with this. So you're like, yeah, I have, uh, you know. But how about one of those letters where you opened it up and the minute you started reading it, you just started grinning? And you started smiling, and it's like the whole of the moment changed. That the words that came off the page for you, it's almost like it changed reality because of what that person uh, was saying. Reading words and writing words is, uh, is quite an art. And I read some quotes about this. One is from a lady named Diane Setterfield. Listen to this. She says, There is something about words. In expert hands, manipulated deftly, they take you prisoner, wind themselves around your limbs like spider silk, and when you are so enthralled you cannot move, they pierce your skin, enter your blood, numb your thoughts. Inside you, they work their magic. Wow. Dr. Martha Burns says, The reading brain can be likened to the real-time collaborative effort of a symphony orchestra with various parts of the brain working together like sections of instruments to maximize our ability to decode the written text in front of us. Have you ever listened to symphony music when there's so many different parts being played but it's made up the whole? She says our brains work like that when we read. There's not just one part, but we light up as the whole symphony begins to play the music of the words that we're reading. And uh, Dr. Keith Oatley from the University of Toronto says, The brain, it seems, does not make much of a distinction between reading about an experience and encountering it in real life. In each case, the same neurological regions are stimulated. So receiving that letter, receiving that note from someone that changes your life, it, a lot goes on. It's not just the words. Your brain begins to work differently. The symphony awakens. The conductor taps, and he starts playing, and suddenly a smile comes on your face, and things change. 
we are starting a new series today in what's called the Book of Philippians in the Bible. Now, they call these books, like 66 books in the total of the Bible, but when we get over to Philippians in the New Testament, these are actually letters. Letters that were written. Written down from one person, like Paul, we're going to see today, to a local church. None of these letters were written to the universal church. These letters were written to a group of people who met in a certain locale with a certain group, with certain pressures and certain cultural implications, uh, certain challenges, and uh, certain personalities within it. Uh, Paul, you've heard his name before, I'm sure. Paul is known as the great apostle Paul. Paul at one time was a hunter-killer of Christians. If you don't know who he is, the guy that wrote the letter that we're going to take a look at today. Before he wrote letters to Christians encouraging them to churches, he would hunt Christians down and kill them. You guys ever read this book? Man, this thing has got some unbelievable stories in it. And I mean, there are life stories in here like Paul's. I mean, the Jewish people gave him, the leaders gave him permission to go out through the area to arrest people of this new group. They called it the way at the time. Uh, the Christians, that first generation of Christians, go, go arrest them, take them to jail, or kill them. And so Paul is very much a zealot when it comes to this, wanting to stomp out the Christians, the people of the way. On his way to the next city to arrest the next group of Christians, God has a different plan for his life. And he intercepts Paul, knocks him off his horse. And God intervenes and calls Paul from going this direction, from going this direction to going that direction. Like, no more am I going to call you. No more am I going to call you to chase Christians and kill them, but you are going to be a leader of them. See what stuff's in here? Can you believe it? And so Paul becomes the foremost leader of this group of Jesus followers. And so he writes this letter to a church that he started somewhere around probably 51, 52 uh, A.D. It's in a small town called Philippi, about 10,000 people. It's an agricultural town, but it's got some commerce in it. And there's a little bit of money in the town, but not big. Like I said, mostly Greek. Uh, they speak Latin in this town as well as Greek. Uh, it has a history. You ever heard the name Mark Antony before? Well, Mark Antony and some of his soldiers years before actually started this town. Some of his soldiers stuck around. And uh, so Paul goes to this town. He wants to start a church. He goes to this town, and you can read about this in Acts 16. This is not in the book that we're going to be looking at, but I want to give you a little history. If you want to go back and find out how this church happened to come to be, go back to the book of Acts in the 16th chapter, and you can read about it. But he goes to Philippi. And there's no synagogue, which is where he usually went to preach. So he goes to the river, to the nearest body of water. A lot of synagogues were placed on water, and a lot of worship places were close to water. And uh, he goes there hoping that he can find some worshipers. And sure enough, there's a lady there, a business lady named Lydia. She's got her staff. They're there at the water. They, are, they make purple garments and sell them. So Paul comes up with his team, and he starts sharing with Lydia. Lydia has been worshiping God as she knows him. She doesn't know about Jesus yet. Paul sits down with her, explains to her who Jesus is. 
and she becomes a Christ follower. Well, Lydia says, hey, come back to my house. Teach us about this Jesus. Paul, the team, goes back to Lydia with her staff. She probably has a fairly a good-sized house. She's not super wealthy, but she's, uh, she's above the poverty level, which most people were in that time. But she had probably a villa, and so the church started in Lydia's house. Now, if you read Acts 16, you're going to find out that this church is made up of a diverse group of people. You've got a jailer with his family and his household that's a part of the church, and you wouldn't believe how they became a part of this church. You've got to go to Acts 16 and read it. It's miraculous. So you've got him. He's of the artisan class. He's a part of the church. You've got a young slave girl who was possessed by a demon who was a member of this church. Used to be. Now she's freed from those demonic uh, influences and she's a part of the church at Philippi as well. There's a couple of ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, who have ministered with Paul. We read in 1 Thessalonians, they've been very good friends with Paul and minister with him. Well, they're also a part of the church at Philippi. As we'll see when we get into this, they're having a little tiff. Imagine that in church. But they're having a little bit of a, of, of a difficulty with each other and Paul doesn't go into any you know, description of what it is. He just says, hey, we're all in this together, serving Jesus, deal with it, basically. He tells these friends of his. And there's a guy named Clement who's a Roman. And uh, it's just a very eclectic group. But they're all gathered together because of what Jesus has done in their lives. Now, Paul gets arrested. He gets arrested and he gets taken, I believe, to Rome. Some people think it was Ephesus. I believe it's Rome. A lot of the, the commentaries say it's Rome. He gets taken to a jail in Rome, and he gets chained to a Roman guard. Not just any guard, but to the elite guard, what's called the Praetorian Guard. This is about 9,000 of the Romans' most elite soldiers. And they have put Paul under their control and actually chained him to one of them. And so a different soldier would come in, get chained to Paul, all for preaching the gospel. Paul was getting quite a reputation with the Praetorian guards because every time one came in, they, they would be like, why is this guy chained to us? He's just out talking about things. And so Paul is always sharing Jesus with them. Well, from this place of being shackled to a Roman guard, he writes this letter to this church in Philippi that he loves. He loves this church. He, he hasn't even been to visit this church, but maybe twice since he started the church. But he's thinking about them while he's there in jail. And that's where we're going to start. And so I'm going to read the passage. We're going to do the first 11 verses today. And in the weeks and maybe next month, uh, we're going to just work our way all the way through the whole book. But let's read this and I'll pray. And I want to point out three things to you this morning. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart 
And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Lord, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. ask for you to breathe life on it. Uh, help me. Help me this morning, God, be able to deliver what you want us to hear. Holy Spirit, come and rule and reign in this room. And speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first let me just mention this about the first two verses. You've got a handout, by the way, that was uh, you were given when you came in the doors. There's a single sheet of paper that's a fill-in. I have a fill-in for the sermon. There it has all of our scripture, and that way if you want to take it with you with some questions too, you can talk about it at lunch. Or if you're in a small group, which I hope you are, you can take those into the small group and talk about these too. The first two, let's notice this is about the first two verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In some of the other letters that Paul writes, he, he gives this description of himself. He'll say, Paul, an apostle of God. And that is, I'm, I've been called by God to preach His Word. I have the authority of God to preach His Word. And he uses that term so that the people who are about to hear this letter, they will know that the real deal is speaking to them. Well, he doesn't do that in this letter. He doesn't, he doesn't use the term, though he certainly is an apostle, but he doesn't use it. Why? Because this church, he has such a relationship with this church, these are his friends. They know that he's a leader in the church. They know that he planted the church. They know who he is. He doesn't have to, to stake a claim and go, I'm an apostle. He doesn't have to do that. That's the kind of relationship that he has. And he has Timothy with him. Timothy is his preacher in training, part of his pit crew. And so he has Timothy um, right alongside him. And, and he says this, The letter is addressed to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. It's not just the one or two people. Even though this wasn't a large church, he's like, I'm thinking of every single one of you while I'm writing this down. When I put the pen to paper, I was thinking of you. All of you. So everyone in this church, in this house at Lydia's, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. It's a very personal type letter. Together, then he tags it with, together with the overseers and deacons, and that is, we know you have leaders in your church, and this is for them as well. And then he moves into verse 3. And that's where I want to point out a few things. One is this. this is, I think Paul is going to help us learn here at the very beginning of how to cultivate joyful relationships. Because he had such a joyful relationship with this church. And I think we as a church can learn a lot about this. And uh, so your first fill-in here on how to cultivate joyful relationships is this. Show gratitude for the past. Show gratitude for the past. Look at verse 3 and 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. You ever had these people that the minute you think about them, you start to smile? You ever picked up like a photo album or you're looking on your your pictures on the computer and, and someone's face will jump up on the screen and you'll immediately go, and you, it, you just, 
Suddenly your brain releases these endorphins, you smile, you get a little surge of uh, pleasantness through your system because they bring back such a memory, something in the past, and suddenly you are appreciating it at that moment. Well, that's what's happening with Paul. And you know what? It's very difficult not, you know, to, to try and develop joyful relationships if we forget the past and if we forget how people have been there for us in our past. So I want you to think. I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you a visual for this too on my great intellectual level this morning because the pen. I like the pen. Do any of you know what that is? Nowadays, we're not sure what this sleek instrument is that we hand out. I, sometimes you may think it's some archaeological find that the vineyard hands out just for a memory of the way things used to be. Because we do email, I do email, thousands of email, and, and we do text, and it's the way we communicate, and I'm grateful for that. But there is something very special about writing a letter, like Paul wrote to the Philippian church. When you pick up a pen, wow, look at that. There's a thing on the end, and there's like some kind of liquid that comes out at the end of this. It's attached to your hand, to your heartbeat. And now you think of what you want to say, and the very rhythm of your life goes into describing what you want to say to that person. This is a very personal way of communicating. And I want to encourage you, all three of these types of people and learning to develop joyful relationships, to pick the pen up like I'm doing this morning and use it. You say, well, I can't even write cursive. It doesn't matter. Don't you get this? When you write, it's personal. It's you. Even your organic sloppiness is a beautiful part of who you are. That's who you are. I mean, it's you, and they get the letter, and they're seeing you. And so you have to think when you write. And every flow and the rhythm of who you are is in every one of those lines, every bit of it. And so think about this. Who, when you think about, makes you want to smile? Who makes you want to smile? Paul says, when I remember. Now, Paul is not in the best of places, is he? I mean, he's shackled to a Roman soldier, but he's like recalling this church that has been there with him. He says, I remember, and then it, he prays. There he is shackled, and he prays in joy because of what he's thinking about these people. Who are you thinking about right now? You should draw a happy face on your notes right now and write their name right across the top of it. You should do it. You should do it. You should write it and say, man, I remember them and what joy they brought to my life because that's what Paul's doing. He's going, these guys have been with me. There's joy in the past. What are you grateful about with others? Paul says, I'm grateful to you, Philippian church, because you have been a part of this. You've been a part. Not You just haven't been out there going, go, Paul. Go, Paul. You can get it done. Go, go. Nah. He uses the word partnership when he talks about how happy they make him. Partnership, 
Greek word is koinonia. Some of you have heard this before. It's kind of a word for fellowship that's used in the church. But this use of koinonia in Philippians here is not just fellowship. It's more of a commercial type term. Uh, It's kind of like where two parties decide to join together to do something. Like if you, a lot of people own boats in this area, right? And some people say, hey, they go to a friend and they go, let's buy a boat together. And you clean it this month, I'll clean it next month. Uh, You do this month and I'll do this the next month. And there's a partnership. Well, that's kind of the way Paul is describing his partnership with this church and why he is so happy when he remembers them. He says, you know, they're not just sitting there going, go, Paul, go. They're with him. They have been a part of what he's done. Over in the Second Corinthians, you can read about this church as well, where Paul talks about there was a church in Jerusalem that needed help. They had no money. Uh, it was a very severe situation. And this church in Philippi, who was hurting themselves and was a poor church, didn't have a lot of money, they hear about it. And so they beg Paul. They say, Paul, please let us be a part of this. Let us be a part of helping you help the Jerusalem church. And so Paul uses 2 Corinthians to try to stir up some holy competition among the churches. And he says, in their most severe poverty came their rich generosity. And so this church had proven themselves in the past by being with Paul in the ministry itself and putting themselves on the line many times. Now, it wasn't an easy life for the Philippian church. There was pagan religions abounded. Nero was not a friend to to anyone. You know what I find? Paul's in jail, right? Paul's in jail for the gospel. Nero one of the emperors. But think about this. All these years later, we name our dogs Nero and we, we name our sons Paul. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I'm just thinking about it, you know. Nero, well, your name Nero, I'm sorry. I'm not learning uh, to be. But, but I know a lot of dogs named Nero because they're, Sir, you know. And, but we name Paul because Paul is an affectionate, it's an affectionate name because of the apostle Paul. So I guess in the end, he got the last word, despite all that was going on. Who makes you smile? Who in the past has been there for you? Have you taken a pencil? Have you taken a pen? Have you actually put down to words, thank you? I remember. I remember. Don't let your life go too far without doing that. And any of these three that I'm going to mention this morning. I had a band director, some of you have been in this church for some time know, and from the age of six years old till I was 19, he was like my second father. And I tell you, without him, I don't know what would have happened to my life. When I got in my 30s, and he had gotten much older, I sat down and I did write him a letter. I'm so grateful I did. I wrote a letter, it was probably three pages, four pages long, and I tried to remember every single thing he'd ever done for me. From first class instrument that I'd ever tone it to getting to tour Europe in an orchestra to being a father to grabbing me in high school and slamming me up against the hall wall and saying Holt you better straighten up I've been hearing things about you (laughs) to helping me get my life straight to being there I wrote him about all of that and much more and I said thank you Mr. Miller he used to say call me Bill I just couldn't do it 
I couldn't do it because he, he, he meant so much to me in the past. He was there. He was a part of my life. Remember those that make you smile. Paul's thinking of the Philippian church. It's making him smile. He says, it's a joy to pray for you. We want to have joyful relationships. We can't forget those who have been in our past, who have been a part of this. And also, your second one is this. Show affection in the present. Show affection in the present. Show affection in the present. Look at this in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. All right, here you go. Who is in your heart? Who's in your heart? Paul says he longs for them. Longs for. This is quite, uh, for a man, this is kind of mushy, isn't it? Don't you think? I mean, appreciation. I mean, Paul is not what you call, we don't think of Paul as being this real sentimental, touchy-feely, emotional guy. But yet when it came to this church, to the Philippian church, when he started thinking about them and how much he loved them, this is no cold academic here. This is a man who loved the people who were serving with him. He longed to see them. He longed to be with them. Listen to this. It is right for me to feel this way. (laughs) I mean, this is almost romantic, isn't it? Ever looked at uh, your, your maid or your children or someone and go, You know, I really love you. And they go, oh, come on, stop it. And you go, no, it's right for me to feel this way. It's right. No, would you just stop it? No, it's right. It's good, you know. I I really have this affection for you. You know, oh, please, please. Would you? I mean, Paul is pouring it on this church because they are with him. He knows, though he is shackled, there with those Romans, this church is with him right now, praying for him. They are present with him. And they are in his heart, and he is in their heart. How many of us let an emotional moment, I meant to say affection, but appreciation is good too, um, let an emotional moment go by where we feel this sense of appreciation and love for someone, and we, we go, I, I can't tell them that. I can't tell them that. You know, and, and just, mm, you know, why not take the time to, to take the pen, to write down and say, yeah, I, I really do. We think about this in you know, male, female, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, stuff. But this is church. I mean, these are church members doing this. This is like the leader of the church saying to the church, Man, we're in this together. We're serving together in Christ, and I appreciate you. I have such an affection for you because we're serving together. How about when you serve, like in hospitality, you're putting the donuts out. Have you ever turned to the other one and go, man, I really appreciate you. I have such an affection serving with you. I mean, come on. I know we're going, what? That's weird. No, you know, you love each other. You appreciate each other. Tuesday, there were all kind of students in here, and some of you were just, you were serving these students. You were listening to them. I mean, I, it was amazing what went on. Some great things went on Tuesday here. 
You ever thought of looking to see who's serving next to you? And go, man, I'm so glad I'm serving with you. It's a joy to serve with you right now to be in this place. Thursday when we fed the law enforcement here. And they were lying. People were lying down the, the sidewalk here under, under the building. Uh, you turned. There were so many of you side by side. And you were blessing the police, praying for them for safety and all. Because you ever look at each other and go, man, this is great to have friends to serve Jesus with. I have such affection for you. This is the gift that God has given the church to appreciate one another and to develop. Not just have a meeting, but have a community of people who do have an affection for each other and who love each other and love the cause of Christ together. That's why this church could be so different. So many different kinds of people, but so focused and called together to do what they were called to do. We need to show affection at the, in the present if we want to see our relationships become healthy. Number three, so we want to show gratitude for the past. We want to show affection in the present. And number three, we want to show confidence about the future. Show confidence about the future or in the future for people. Look in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. That's the future. My prayer is in the future, you're going to be cut such a loving group of people and that in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's when it's all over and you stand before God. Like, I've got confidence in the future for you, church. You're going to be able to stand before God with all kind of fruits of righteousness around you when that day comes. Well, what a good word to get from somebody like Paul, huh? Did you know you have the ability to say that over people's lives? That's part of the church's gift, to be able to bless people, to be able to speak a preferable future for them, to look at one another and go, I see a great future for you. Man, I see God using you in tremendous ways. And I see you standing before God one day, so happy to be standing there because all the fruits of righteousness of your life are going to be right there with you. And to speak that over them. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. The way to, to cultivate joyful relationships. Another one. And excuse my awesome artwork here. But this is supposed to be a finger pointing. If you want to develop joyful relationships. Bless people with a good future. I mean, speak to them. Point to the future and say, you see that out there for you? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Now, the Philippian church was not living in a great place. They were being persecuted. They didn't have a whole lot. But Paul says, oh, no. In the kingdom of God and in the now and in the kingdom to come, oh, my gosh, you're going to abound, abound, and abound in love. And when you stand before God one day, all of the fruits of righteousness of your life are going to be just tremendous. Why don't we do that to each other? Why don't we say these good things over each other instead of maybe being too critical all the time? How about our kids even? I mean, think about that. Speaking a good word over your children about the future instead of us, you know, look, I raise kids, I know. Um, 
instead of us going, oh, man, you're going to be a slacker forever, you know. You're never going to get a job. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do that. What in the world, instead of going, you know what? I see a future for you. God has got such a plan for your life, such a plan for your life. That by the time you finish your run here on earth and you stand before him, you are going to have heaps of fruit of righteousness about your life. And speak that to one another. You know, you need that sometimes when you can't see the future. When it doesn't look so good. If you want to have joyful relationships, we need to be able to speak that over one another. If you bless people by that, pick up your pen. Write someone that you care about and that you have affection for and say, man, the future for you is going to be great because I'm praying for you. God loves you. What did Jesus say? He said he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Do you get that? He started the book in your life and he's darn well capable of finishing it. You get this? I, he is the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the author and the finisher, the completer, the one that will finish it all. Let's have a little confidence in him that he can do that in your life and in those that you love. And let's speak it over one another. Let's, that creates a future almost for us. And I'm no health, wealth guy, you know, but I do believe there is power. We can say so much negativity over each other and criticize that we can rob one another of a beautiful future if we're not careful. Why not let's speak wonderful things for the kingdom ahead for those we love and that we care about if we want joyful relationships. So, who are you going to do that for? Who are you going to put your hand on? And isn't that neat that the hand pointing to the future is the same hand that can be put down, and I definitely can't do this, but can lay your hands on them to bless someone? You can touch their shoulder, and you can speak a good positive word, and it's the same hand that can have a pen in it to write the word. Boy, this is really getting bizarre. But um, here, and you can, you know, it's coming straight from your heart for the future. Do you get this? And bless people. Bless those that you love if you want a joyful relationship. Paul is doing this with the church he loves. He's showing gratitude for the past the, the way they've been with him, for affection that he has for them in the present, and the confidence that he has for them in the future. He says this, he says, um, if I can find it, I'll find out where he says, being confident in the sixth verse, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you look at each other and say that? That he who started a good work in you is going to finish it. That's how you have good, fun, happy relationships in the church. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. Thank you.